The first reading is taken from Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, and this can be found on page 261 of your pew Bibles. That's Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The next reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and this can be found on page 1376 of your pew Bibles. That's 1,376. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The final reading is taken from John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35, and this can be found on page 1519 of your pew Bibles, that's 1519. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because... You ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for work food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are so generous to us. Uh, We thank you for all that you fill our lives with, but especially we thank you for your word. So we pray, help us to feast on it this morning. Amen. Uh, Can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you are given as you came in? Uh, You will see inside, as always, a reasonably detailed outline of what I'm going to cover. Uh, There's also a discussion question that we'll get to towards the end of today. Um, As you're getting yourself sorted, I hope you were encouraged by that video of Les before. Um, Just to let you know, uh, Les, a member of our 7pm gathering, will actually be farewelling Les tonight from the youth ministry at 7pm. About two years ago, when we were short of leaders in our youth ministry, our youth pastor thought, how many 78-year-olds do I know who could get involved in youth ministry? And he thought of Les. So we got Les out of retirement, who used to serve in the youth ministry when he was in his 60s, but had taken a bit of a break. Um, So he's been back for the last couple of years, training up a couple of young guys who are going to take over his group from him. Uh, we will be farewelling him this tonight at our 7pm gathering. I figured you'd love to know something of uh, the way in which one generation declares goods, God's good deeds to the next generation. So that's at our 7pm service tonight. Uh, if you look on your outline, you'll see there that on the top left, we are making our way through this short series on the Lord's Prayer on the lead into Christmas, uh, each week line by line. And you'll see on the left there what the big idea is of each of the talks. Uh, in week one, Our Father in Heaven... Uh, The big idea was that your picture of God determines how you pray. Uh, Last week, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, The big idea was that we pray for our Father's concerns before we pray for our situation. Uh, We come this week to week three and give us today our daily bread. Uh, And uh, this is the first of three requests about our situation and our circumstances. And so the big idea, again printed there on your handout, our big idea, our biggest obstacle to prayer is self-sufficiency. Big idea for today, our biggest obstacle to prayer is self-sufficiency. I say that because give us today our daily bread, I think feels like the least necessary prayer for us to pray. I mean, if you think about it, all of us have full pantries, uh, we have well-stocked kitchen cupboards, and we have the ability to duck out to the shops whenever we want, whenever we need something, 24-7. As a result, give us today our daily bread at least to me, feels largely redundant. So, why are we taught to pray it? Well, point one there on your outline, give us today our daily bread. I want to say two things about the prayer itself, uh, something about daily bread and something about today. Firstly, daily bread. Uh, The need for daily bread or for bread food each day uh, was a very live concern in first century Palestine at the time of which Jesus is speaking. Uh, The situation of day labourers, people who needed uh, work each day, was well known. There's a reference there to the parable of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, The principle is very simple. If you didn't work, you didn't eat. And so in that context, the prayer, give us today our daily bread, it, I think, was very much in people's consciousness. That's not a new thing, of course, and that's something that is sadly common throughout history, 
If you look at Leviticus 19, this is a few hundred years before, uh, there you hear the injunction to an employer, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Don't even delay one night in paying because they won't eat. Give us today our daily bread. Uh, Because of that, the provision of daily bread was deeply ingrained in Israel's psyche, in their history, uh, particularly from 40 years spent in the desert where they relied on God for food and water each day just to survive. That's what Moses is referring to in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in the first reading that Aaron brought to us. Here, Moses and the Israelites stand on the edge of the promised land, having spent 40 years in the wilderness. Pick it up in Deuteronomy 8 verse 1, print it there on your handout. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. Moses says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on earth to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." What Moses is saying is that the need for daily bread in the wilderness was meant to teach God's Old Testament people a much bigger and more profound lesson even than simply, what are we going to eat today? Verse 3, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This bread that God feeds them with, it's meant to symbolise their complete and total dependence on God for everything, just to survive. There's a question there on your handout. Why is this then the first request that Jesus teaches us to pray? Why is this the first request that Jesus teaches us to pray? Especially when, in some ways, it feels almost trivial compared to the big problems in our world. Give us today our daily bread. Why doesn't Jesus say, Why doesn't he urge us to pray beyond just our particular needs? For peace. Think of Ukraine. Or for an end to suffering. Think of cancer. Or, and I suppose this is particularly relevant to the topic of daily bread, for the end of global poverty and world hunger. Well, in a sense, Jesus has already taught us to pray that uh, with the previous line, Uh, your kingdom come, that, I think, is the big picture prayer that we are to pray. And so, with give us today our daily bread, Jesus is saying that even amidst all of our prosperity and our comfort and our ease, we are still completely and totally dependent on God for everything. Which is why, the second point near the bottom, it's give us our daily bread today. Give us our daily bread today. Now, I think in many ways what stands out in the prayer is the frequency of the request. Give us today our daily bread. Which means that, in effect, the prayer is give us today enough for today because tomorrow we'll have to pray the same prayer all over again. Remember, of course, that was Israel's experience in the desert. Each day, God provided manna from heaven. If they collected too much, too much, it rotted overnight. Because the following day, the same prayer was to be prayed. Give us today our daily bread. 
Yet here's the thing. Don't you think that feels awfully inefficient? I mean, to us moderns, really. It's a very inefficient way of doing things, isn't it? Surely, give us today our weekly bread. That would be much simpler. That would be less time-consuming. In fact, give us today our yearly bread. And, uh, you know, dare I suggest this, surely that would be less of a burden on God if we had to stop, didn't have to ask Him all the time? I wonder if that's why we find this prayer so hard to pray. Why it's so far removed from our experience. At the start of each week, actually on Sunday afternoons, I sit down and I plan out what our family's going to eat for the week ahead. And my goal is on Sunday afternoon to go to the supermarket once for the entire week to buy all of our provisions. You know where this story is going. I fail spectacularly at this. Last week, I counted, I was there four times in seven days. Give us today our daily bread. See, Deuteronomy 8 is about more than just the food which God gives in such generous abundance. Jesus is teaching us complete and total dependence on Him for everything, all of the time. I guess to put it really bluntly, who amongst us is more likely to depend on God? Who is more likely to pray to Him daily? Who is more likely to call on Him constantly for help? Those of us who have plenty in reserve? Or those of us who have nothing left? Now, bottom of the page there, there's a question. Uh, actually, no, I haven't printed it there. Here's the question. Does anyone like the thought of being dependent on other people? Now, go on, put your hand up if you do, if you like the thought of being dependent on others. No, of course, the answer is none of us do. None of us like the thought of being dependent on others. In fact, all of us are striving for independence, whatever our stage of life, whether it's a teenager who's craving independence or it's the elderly who are clinging to independence. All of us strive for independence, whatever our stage of life, and especially we long for it financially because the world around us says financial independence is the only way in which you can prepare for the future and look after your family. The thing is, the risk in accumulating wealth is that it allows us to do whatever we want, whenever we want, without needing others, without being accountable to others. And ultimately, it causes us to believe in our self-sufficiency that we have no need for help, either in this life or in the one to come. By teaching us to pray, give us today our daily bread, not just give us this week our daily bread or give us this month our daily bread, the inescapable conclusion, I think, is that Jesus is saying our Heavenly Dad wants us to trust Him all the time so that we might experience the wonderful relief of knowing that it's up to Him to provide, as it has been all along. So here then is the question, bottom of the page, is Jesus saying we shouldn't build up reserves for ourselves? Is He implying that a full pantry and a full kitchen cupboard is a sign of ungodliness? No, no I don't think He is. What those things are, actually, they are a sign of God's incredible generosity and goodness. I mean, remember, manna in the desert 
it did eventually give way to the promised land that was overflowing with milk and honey. For the record, I am not suggesting we ask God to take everything away so that we're forced to rely on Him more and less on ourselves. But my question is, how would you react if He did? Because it seems to me that if you're a Christian, if you trust God with your eternal salvation, then why not with the daily necessities as well? Surely, you know that He can sort that out. Surely, you want to know the exhilarating comfort and assurance of completely and totally depending on Jesus. We sing a great hymn here that makes that point exactly. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless, look to you for grace, stained by sin, to you I cry, wash me saviour, or I die. So, the prayer is, give us today our daily bread, point two on your hand on the right hand side then, so, of course, the big question is, what type of bread is Jesus actually talking about? Uh, you'll have worked out by now that what I'm suggesting is that in line three of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is talking about much more than simply physical bread or uh, food on the table. We see that in particular in Matthew chapter 4, in the second reading that we had. Here, Jesus himself is in the desert, just like those Israelites hundreds of years before him. And here, he specifically quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 to make this bigger point about more than just food. Matthew 4, verse 1, printed there on your handout. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus is saying is that we need more than just bread to survive. We need God's life-giving Word if we're to really live. In fact, to thrive and to flourish. Just like the Israelites. When they finally made it out of the desert and into the abundance of the promised land, with all of its goodness, all of its temptations and distractions, that feels more like our experience today. Still, what they needed to live was the Word of God. There's a comment there that I've given on your handout, just a note there, how to resist temptation, uh, hints from the Son of God. It's interesting, isn't it, of course, that at this point in Matthew, Jesus has a very clear strategy for resisting temptation, for resisting the devil, in fact. His strategy is pretty simple, rely on the Word of God. And clearly, he has memorised the Word of God so that when he's under stress it instinctively and automatically comes to mind. I mean, look at the situation that Jesus is in. He has been in the desert for 40 days. He is somewhat hungry. And it's the devil who is actually speaking literally to him. This is a high-stress scenario. But what happens, his automatic response, it's the Word of God. As I said, I take it it's because he has memorised it. Because to state the obvious it won't come to mind if you don't know it. It's like primary school children who are forced to learn their times tables to 
automaticity, so that it's instant and instinctive. You notice, of course, that in Matthew 4, that it doesn't actually alleviate his hunger. Responding with the Word of God doesn't actually take his hunger away, but what it does do is that it recasts his situation in a different light. The Word of God is the way in which Jesus responds to stress and temptation. And I guess to put it really bluntly, surely we'd be foolish to ignore his strategy or to try any alternative self-help techniques. We'll come back to that idea, of course, in week five with lead us not into temptation. Well, in case I've not been clear, the bread that Jesus is talking about is the Word of God. Or, as he puts it in John chapter 6, not so much physical food, but spiritual food, which, in fact, the bread he is talking about is himself. Because only Jesus can fulfill the Word of God. That's why he calls himself the bread of life. Pick it up with me in John chapter 6. Last reading there, printed on your handout. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Not only can you not survive without this food, Jesus is saying it is the only way to flourish. Because only Jesus can fully satisfy. As you know, there's a lot of talk these days about food that sustains. Uh, We are encouraged to start the day with a good breakfast, a low GI breakfast, full of nuts and grains so that you have enough energy throughout the day. Look at the lovely phrase in verse 35. Never go hungry. Never be thirsty. Can you imagine that? Imagine having a food that you could eat once and you would never be hungry again. Uh, Imagine what that would do for all the Feed the World initiatives. Or imagine a drink that you could drink once and you would never be thirsty ever again. Imagine what that would do for all the clean drinking water initiatives. You know, that's how Jesus describes in verse 33. Verse 33, the bread that gives life to the world. Jesus is talking about much more than our physical well-being. He is explicitly offering eternal life Verse 27. So come and feed on him daily. 
I want to say something at this point, therefore, obviously, about the importance of daily devotions. Uh, Can I say, I hope that you're not the kind of person whose plan for feeding on God's Word comprises of binge eating on Sundays when you come to church and then fasting for the rest of the week. I mean, I presume no one here manages their physical food intake that way. Why would you do that with your spiritual food? Because surely, if you chose to live that way, there would be adverse consequences. Maybe you'd succumb to temptation a little more easily. When I talk about daily devotions, I don't say this to guilt you. I don't say this to berate you. I say it because, as your pastor, I really don't want anyone to starve themselves in our church. Do you know that uh, in, in years gone by, in largely illiterate societies, in agrarian societies built around agriculture, particularly at the time of the Reformation, the way in which they would start each day was, before they'd go out into the fields, they would gather together in the village chapel for morning prayer. Then they'd go out to the fields, they'd do their day's work, and on the way back in, before they'd go home, they'd stop in again at the village chapel for evening prayer. I suspect that when we hear something like that, we think, oh, how quaint, how old-fashioned. Or maybe we think, gosh, that'd be awfully inconvenient. But my guess is there's a good chance our forebears were better fed than we were. Better fed than we who have such easy access to Scripture in our own homes. I often try and give you recommended reading. There's a, something there on your handout. Um, it's actually um, it's a book, but it's not really a book that you read from cover to cover. This is just a daily devotional reading guide that I've been using for a number of years. It's by Don Carson called For the Love of God. Uh, what I like about it is that it gives you a few chapters each day to read sequentially. So over the course of the year, you read through the whole Bible, some parts of it more than once. But just chapter by chapter, each day, daily feeding. Um, I've been using this now for coming up to two decades. Part of the reason why I use it was because I figure it gets me through the whole Bible in the year and there's so much good fare to sample. I know that there are many in this church, in this congregation, who swear by Scripture Union's daily reading notes called Daily Bread. That's terrific. Uh, Can I just say, it doesn't really matter what you use. I mean, I think all of us, we cook differently and we eat differently. What matters is that we're being well-fed and well-nourished. Well, you'll see on your handout there that um, I've given you a discussion question, which we're going to get to in just a moment. What could motivate you to feed on the bread of life each day? What could motivate you to feed on the bread of life each day? In a moment, I'm going to get you to talk about that with each other. Let me just say a couple of comments about this. Uh, The kinds of things that I hear from people when they point out how difficult it is to do, I hear these kinds of things. Sometimes I hear, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I don't really know what to say to that other than that's not really a reason why you don't feed on the Word of God. That's just an excuse. If you're too busy to eat your meals each day, you're probably too busy. If you regularly skip lunch at work, you're too busy. So something needs to change. Sometimes I hear from people, honestly, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. And I hear that and I appreciate that, to which I want to say, well, get educated. Find out how it fits together. If you didn't know how to cook, you'd quickly learn 
otherwise you'd starve. Same principle here. And sometimes I just hear from people, well, I don't really see why. I don't see why it's important. What I've been trying to say today is that give us today our daily bread. It's not meant to prescribe the bare minimum. It's actually trying to picture the start of something wonderful. After all, if manna was literally bread from heaven, how much more nourishing and fulfilling and satisfying will every word from the mouth of God be in our lives? Well, as I said, I'm going to come back to that uh, for discussion question in a moment. Before I do, just a few observations about application. Bottom right-hand side, so what for us? What do we do with give us today our daily bread What do we do with that in this week ahead? Well, let me make three brief suggestions. Firstly, I'd like to encourage us to pray, save us from the sin of self-sufficiency. Save us from the sin of self-sufficiency. Now, I know I'm a bit extreme in calling self-sufficiency a sin. I understand that. But I've done it because it seems to me that self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-dependence, self-autonomy, whatever word you use, seems to me that's basically what Adam and Eve were trying to do when they went their own way and ignored God's counsel and chose the path of self-sufficiency. God, we don't need you. We can do this ourselves. Look how that turned out. Even if somehow you were able to attain complete self-sufficiency, Not that anyone can in our interconnected world, but even if you could, the irony is you'd basically be saying, I don't need our Father in heaven anymore, which means you probably won't need him in eternity either. So pray, Lord, save us from self-sufficiency. Secondly, pray each day, Father, thank you. Pray each day, Father, thank you. Thank you for our full pantry and our overflowing kitchen cupboard. Pray it because, here's my point, gratitude quickly dissipates. Gratitude quickly dissipates. I don't understand why, but in my relationships with others, I start to take other people's repeated generosity towards me, I start to take it for granted. In fact, after a while, I stop even noticing repeated acts of kindness from other people. Why is it, do you think, that the closer we are to someone and the kinder they are to us, the less we feel the need to constantly thank them? Is it because we've just assumed and taken it for granted? Our Father in heaven is supremely generous but this is a prayer that says father please help me not forget so pray each day father thank you and my third and final suggestion in terms of application try to feed someone with the food that lasts try to feed someone with the food that lasts now don't mishear me I think we ought be mindful of those who have less than us because even in our highly affluent city, sadly, many have nothing at all. However, the reason why we here at Trinity 
don't give food handouts. The reason why instead we've chosen to partner with specialist agencies is because what we want to focus on, what we want to be known for, is distributing food that doesn't spoil. Food that endures to eternal life. Now, again, don't mishear me. Please don't use that as an excuse to ignore the physical needs around us. I think it's good and right for us to contribute where we can to playing our part to eradicating hunger. But what we have in ample supply is food which, once consumed, will prevent hunger from ever returning. And so it seems to me that the obvious question at the end of this is, who could you share that food with this Christmas? To be fair, the first time you try and offer it to someone, they're probably going to be a little bit sceptical. What do you mean? Food that I'll eat at once and I never eat it again? It does feel a bit too good to be true. I feel too good to be true. But I want to urge you, please don't give up inviting people to the feast and the banquet that is never-ending. Okay, two minutes with the person next to you, the discussion question there. What could motivate you to feed on the bread of life each day? Two minutes with the person next to you, then I'll close for us in prayer. Thank you.